Hello, and welcome to Uplift, a podcast about the transformative power of design from architecture and design firm NBBJ. I'm your host, Andy Snyder. Each episode, we chat with people from all over the healthcare continuum who have been deeply affected by the built environment. On today's episode, the healthcare industry is no stranger to technological disruption. In fact, the past few years have seen enormous advancements when it comes to smart technology, wearable devices, telehealth, virtual care, and AI. Recently, another type of disruption has been taking place. Tech companies like Amazon, Apple, and Google, as well as those already in the healthcare sphere like CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart, are joining the race to transform care delivery, reduce costs, and improve access. What role do these disruptions play in how care is provided? And how do they affect the way we design healthcare environments? To discuss, I'm joined by Dr. Paul Barish, a pioneering physician and digital health specialist who helps hospitals integrate smart technology into their practices, and Yoon-Hee Kim, a personal technology editor for the Washington Post, as well as my NBBJ colleague, Ryan Hollinger. We'll talk about new technologies on the horizon, the firms leading the charge to improve efficiency and access to care, and how tech can impact both treatment and design. Let's dive in. Thank you for being here. Ryan, you're a partner and firm-wide healthcare practice leader at NBBJ. Tell us a little bit about your work with clients and why you're interested in technology in the healthcare space. Thanks, Andy. So NBBJ designs for healthcare in everything from community hospitals to major academic medical centers. We do that across the country and around the world. And you asked why we're interested in technology. It's because it's impossible to separate technology from modern medicine. The the two things go hand in hand. At its best, medicine harnesses the power of technology to advance healing. And that's a really big part of the healthcare design process. It's a big part of contemporary hospital design in multiple forms. Of course, in the form of medical equipment like MRI suites and cath labs, but also in the technology that's embedded within the walls of a hospital, the technology that you don't see. That's the technology that's managing everything from medical records to pharmaceutical inventory or the control of temperature or building security or even backup power. So hospitals like a complex organism and technology is like its nervous system. And it's critical that we as architects are thinking about technology every step of the way. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Paul, you're a Harvard and Massachusetts General Hospital trained physician, professor, and surgical safety expert. But you're also devoted to the integration of technology into healthcare to support better outcomes and experience. Can you tell us how you became interested in the relationship between technology and healthcare? Sure, Andy, good to be with you today. So I've been in healthcare for about 30 odd years. I have continued to think about technology first as a patient who's undergone serious surgery as a clinician for those 30 years and as a healthcare executive constantly thinking about how we can use technology to improve the performance of healthcare systems as measured by patients, as measured by healthcare providers, and ultimately as a way to improve population health. Great. We appreciate you being here today, Paul. Yunhee, you're the personal technology editor for the Washington Post, and you've covered the tech industry since 2002. Tell us about your experience covering tech. 
Thanks for having me. I started my career at Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal, where my first encounter with technology was covering semiconductors and Samsung, the consumer tech giant in Korea. I moved back to the States in 2018, and in 2021, I joined the Washington Post to lead our consumer tech coverage. Thanks, Yoon-hee. So, Paul, disruptor is one of those words we throw around when we talk about anything novel, especially anything technology-related. If you had to define what technological disruption in healthcare means right now, what would you say? Well, I'd say the disruption is at all levels. From the moment the patient expresses their symptoms via the way their clinical information is captured through the decision-making processes of the healthcare teams, through diagnostic and interventional measures in which this information is used, and then through ongoing management, sustainability of care, and ongoing preventative care. So in all these steps of the way, technology has changed and shifted many of the primary elements on how we seek healthcare, how the system responds to our needs, how it provides us uh, safety, quality, and satisfaction in order to be able to sustain a full life. Yunhee, what, if anything, would you add? I would have to kind of argue that our healthcare industry in the United States hasn't really been disrupted yet, and it's really ripe for disruption. This is why you're actually seeing a lot of the big tech companies jumping in to this space from Amazon to Apple to Google and Microsoft. These companies don't have a lot of experience in healthcare but they know how to scale an industry and have the cash to do it. So we're actually seeing a lot of acquisitions as well as partnerships. That's an interesting perspective. Thanks, Yoon-hee. Ryan, you spend a lot of time talking to hospitals and health systems about what they're seeing in the industry. What are you hearing in those conversations and discussions about technology and healthcare? One of the hottest topics right now with our clients in terms of hospital design and technology is tied into automation. So they're thinking about automated processes, and that's in all kinds of departments. We're thinking about automated processes in pharmacies that are actually doing compounding for medications. Automation in the lab, where you have robots that are studying specimens and samples. And then especially automated transport of materials throughout the hospital. Hospitals now are actually building entire banks of elevators that are dedicated purely to robotic traffic that are moving materials up and throughout the building. But then along with this comes cost, which is probably the other thing that we're hearing the most from our clients in terms of technology and some concerns. Of course, that dedicated elevator bank comes at a cost. And all of the infrastructure that's tied into these hospitals that's inside of the walls, it's one of the most sharply increasing budget items in capital costs in the hospitals we're designing now. So it's definitely something to be mindful of. And we need to think flexibly about designing for the infrastructure of the future and how to balance first cost with long-term operational cost. So it seems like we can separate the topic of technological disruption in healthcare into two buckets, companies and the emerging technologies themselves. In 2023, the American Hospital Association identified seven companies driving transformational change in healthcare. Amazon, Apple, CVS Health, Google, United Health Group, Walgreens, and Walmart. Paul, can you give us a brief overview of what these companies are or aren't doing to transform care? And how are they leveraging tech? And I think they're doing an amazing amount of work. Really, first and foremost, is challenging our workflows, challenging where the care is delivered, 
challenging who should deliver that care, where it should it be overseen, how it should it be paid for. So there's there's really a lot of interest in really rethinking and fundamentally evaluating what's working well and what can be improved. On the other side, what they struggle with at times is robust evaluation about do these technologies actually deliver as promised. Multiple studies have shown that if you look at the top companies, profits, and sales in the space of healthcare uh, tech innovation, about 90% of them do not deliver as promised. They deliver other aspects of it, but they don't deliver on the hype and the marketing. And so there's a gap between what's marketed and sold and what actually happens when it's being implemented in a clinic, in a mental health unit, in a pediatric uh, ambulatory clinic, or in a major tertiary hospital. That implementation gap between what we know they could do and what they actually do is perhaps the biggest challenge for us as we go forward. How about from your perspective, Yunhee, what are some of the major advancements that you're seeing that are starting to make an impact in healthcare and the health system space? What I'm really most excited about is the potential for AI to disrupt health care. I know we're in the really early phases of ChatGPT, for example, this new chatbot rolled out by a company called OpenAI based in San Francisco. For example, at the Washington Post, like we've written about researchers who have created an artificial intelligence tool that can predict whether a person will get lung cancer, for example, up to six years in advance. So in the future, algorithms could predict everything from breast cancer and the likelihood of tumors regrowing, and that would be a significant leap in technology. Obviously, more testing needs to be done before unleashing some of these tools and products into clinical settings, but I think there's a lot of potential there. I am a little bit worried about big tech's kind of venture into healthcare in the sense of their data storing and data sharing practices. For example, during the pandemic, I think when a lot of people were in lockdown and they needed some mental health help, they would kind of go online, search an app and basically download it. And you could type in your symptoms and try to get all sorts of advice about how to deal with mental health issues. But the things that you type into these apps and the Internet could be stored and could be shared with third party marketers and in turn kind of feed you advice and information that's actually not in the interest of consumers, but in the interest of these companies who need to monetize some of their products. So while there are major advances that are taking place right now, I also want to caution that we need to kind of look at these aspects before we move too quickly. So Paul, I think almost all companies on the AHA's list have invested in some form of virtual care or remote patient monitoring. What do you see for virtual care moving forward? Well, it's probably one of the most exciting things that have happened in the last several years, which is a true commitment by industry, by government entities, and in fact, by the entire ecosystem of healthcare overseers in that we needed to move towards telehealth solutions. Although telehealth has been around for quite some time, it was really at the margins prior to COVID. So COVID really acted as a major disruptive force to push that. Unfortunately, still, it's not just about the telehealth, but it's really about do we have a continuity of care service? And so while the technology to get into somebody's home and offer them service is great, if it's not connected to their pharmacy, if it's not connected to their rehabilitation services, 
if it doesn't allow them to improve in other aspects that are important, for example, in their cardiac rehab or in their ability to exercise, then it falls short. And so I think we tend to think about telehealth as a destination, but it's just a tool. And now the question is, are these tools being used as part of rethinking the entire flow? Are these technologies useful by themselves? Yes, but only in a limited way. The broader question is, and I think this is where the predictions come in, is how do we better think about these technologies as they service the various needs of citizens at different levels of care. I just want to highlight the fact that while technology has democratized many things in many spaces, including in healthcare, technology has actually exacerbated equity problems where poorer people, less educated people, people that are in rural locations in the U.S. have worse health outcomes in spite of the positive impact that telehealth has on those that have access to it. And so we need to be considering that as we expand telehealth services, we're mindful of a broad number of communities that are not benefiting from these technologies. Thanks, Paul. You know, the equity piece is certainly something I think that gets overlooked. So I appreciate your calling attention to that. It's really important. I'd love to transition now from discussing virtual care to how technology impacts the physical space when it comes to healthcare. For example, many organizations are also investing in smaller, less traditional spaces for care, both standalone and even in in-store environments. Ryan, what are your thoughts on these types of spaces? Yeah, there is a lot of movement out of the traditional healthcare setting of the hospital and out into the communities. And I think generally that's something to really applaud. What we're getting there is a different kind of prioritization. What was historically being prioritized in the past was a concentration of all healthcare services in the space of a hospital or a medical office building. That made a lot of sense because you were able to share resources and streamline communication among all the parties in those buildings. But now, with better logistics and transport and streamlined network communication, you really can move care out of those traditional settings. And in general, I think that's all a good thing. It makes access to care easier and more convenient for the patients. In this sense, convenience isn't just a nice-to-have. It's not just an amenity. We know that as you make care more convenient, you actually increase people's willingness to participate in their care, to be more proactive and preventative. So there are lots of benefits to that, to making it easier for them. It's not without its challenges. It certainly is being tested right now economically and as an economic model. And we think there's lots of room for improvement in the way that those spaces are designed. A patient is probably coming into a small retail clinic and only spending about 10 minutes in that exam room. But if you think about that from the caregiver perspective, they're spending an entire shift in that room. And often these spaces have been built as quickly as possible. They're windowless, and it's not a space that is supportive of that caregiver's emotional state or even ergonomics. And so really thinking about that as the next design opportunity and how to make that space more efficient, more productive, but also more supportive of their well-being, I think that would be the next generation of care in terms of the way it's deployed in retail settings. And Ryan, kind of staying on that topic of implications technology has for advancing the design of hospitals and clinics, you co-authored a Forbes article on that subject not too long ago. Can you talk a little bit about how the use of technology is paving the way for a more comforting, accessible patient experience? 
to use the example of a patient room, you have an entertainment system, you have a window blind control system, you have a lighting system, you have an air conditioning and heating system. All of those things right now are disintegrated, and we're really working toward a future where they become integrated and are connected to each other in a much more intelligent way. So that future is really exciting. That makes the control of the room something that the patient and family really have agency in. It's a big part of the psychology of coming into a hospital. You surrender so much of your autonomy and control. We want to make sure that patients and families get that back. And so thinking about this idea of patient agency, you being able to control your environment, set up that environment the way you want it to be, customize it to your own needs, that's a really important part of the design of the future. And we think technology can play a role in that. We also want to be sure that we're not only thinking about technology in that role, though, that it's also about bringing nature into the environment, and that's something we're focused on, too. So it's not one or the other, and sometimes technology seems to trump nature. We want to make sure that both of those are brought to bear on a healing environment. And what about for staff? How are technologies like telehealth or wearables connected to a better staff experience? Sure. So to walk through almost any inpatient unit, and especially an ICU unit 10 years ago, was a cacophony. It was noise coming from every direction. It's a series of notifications and beeps and sometimes even alarms that are going off. It creates a tremendous amount of noise and is a really difficult space for anyone to concentrate in, or especially for patients and families to find restful or therapeutic at all. One way that technology has helped with this is with very targeted and prioritized notifications. So this is helping reduce alarm fatigue. You're communicating directly with the caregiver that's needed in the moment. And you're also thinking about how to prioritize all those notifications so that the difference between something minor like an IV bag that needs to be refilled versus something major like a patient crashing is distinguished for them. And you're really creating enough space for them mentally to operate at a much higher level, to perform at a higher level. Paul, what does the increased adoption of virtual care mean for the way space is used in hospitals and healthcare facilities? It's a great question. And I think a lot of those answers will depend also on the community and the context of care that we're delivering. But it's clear that the old models of design, particularly demonstrated during COVID, fell short. We have too much brick and mortar built on the one hand. On the other hand, we don't have a proper integration between different service delivery models. And so it's not just about more buildings. The real question is, do the buildings and are they part of a system that allows you to transfer services, for example, away from the building to the community, perhaps also to hospital at home. And so there's a variety of new models of thinking about this will ultimately disintegrate, if you will, the way we've been thinking about hospitals. And that would make it easier to access certain services. It would reduce the complexity of these massive campuses with 50 to 100,000 people. And ultimately, it will help us remind ourselves that we have to focus on number one, creating a caring and calming environment. And obviously, the issues that we've just discussed about, and we can think about the work of others that have talked about biophilia and say to Genesis, which is, you know, the question is, when you go to a big hospital, do you feel calm and do you feel relaxed? 
And the evidence shows that just the patients showing up to these big buildings automatically causes a massive stressful feeling. And it's not just for patients and families, it's also for staff. The second thing is, is what we've alluded to is the systems of care. How do we make sure that there's better flow from the community through accident emergency departments, through rehabilitation? And how do we make sure that these systems are talking to each other more fully? That means before the patient arrives there, while they're there, and most importantly, after they leave, how do we reduce the number of patients that bump back to the hospital? How best to think about the use of energy and water, how to think about the reuse and recycling of building materials, and how to hold hospitals to account as we do other elements in society around this question of green and the impact on the environment. Finally, I would say that we need much more practice-based, both theoretical and empirical research to better understand how these new design ideas, that is to say, shifting from the old hospital design to a disintegrated model, how will these designs help focus on our commitment to process improvement in a way that respects patients and staff, and in a way that's sustainable, given that we should remember that healthcare in the U.S. is the most expensive in the world by far. And unfortunately, when we look at the outcomes compared to that invest, we're probably ranked about 30th in the world. So we spend a lot more. We don't get that much ROI for that spend. And that obviously is a massive challenge for as we think about these movement, we have to focus on the overall cost. I'm glad you talked about cost, Paul, because one of the promises of smart hospitals is the ability to improve efficiency while also reducing cost. Ryan, what are your thoughts about the design of smart hospitals? How can design help in this quest for efficiency? Sure. Generally, when we're talking about the smart hospital, we are talking about that integrated care environment where different technologies or data sets are connected to each other and are all optimized for patient or staff experience. So there are lots of examples of this. We can give a couple in the patient's electronic medical record is a part of the building information system so that when that patient is in a particular patient room, the digital signage on the door to that room talks about any special provisions for care that are needed, any allergies that might affect food service. And that information is also automatically relayed to people who are working in the kitchen and nutrition. So generally, you're creating a safer and more comfortable environment by integrating multiple data sets throughout the hospital. An even more interesting example of this would be a smart hospital bed. And these are available right now and are being used in the hospitals we're designing right now, where the bed has an array of sensors and it is detecting patient movement and can actually detect the motion of a patient if they try to get up. So if you know you have a patient who has a fall risk and you want to make sure that they stay in bed, then the bed is communicating back to the nurse station and alerting the caregivers if the patient is trying to get up and then is improving safety, of, of course, overall. And to follow up on that, technology can impact a building's design, but also the design process itself. What are some ways that you and your teams are using new technology to design healthcare spaces? Yeah, so 
Technology has been, and computer modeling in particular, has been a part of the architectural process for decades now. It's only in about the last 10 years, the computer models that we make have gone to the next level where simulation is built into those models. So in the past, the computer model was all about the shape and the form and the geometry of the building. But presently, the way we're using those models is to load in simulations in terms of physics, or even user behavior, so that you can really understand the model as a precursor to the way the building is going to behave. And you can study different versions of the architecture to really optimize the way that people will work in the building or the way the building responds to energy loads or climate. So this is great because the same model that we're using to show the client the spaces and renderings of the building can also be used to study solar heat gain to understand the way that the heating and air conditioning equipment produces heat and the way that heat can be ejected. But even more exciting, you can begin to think about an avatar-based approach that actually populates that computer model with nurses, patients, doctors, and has them all moving through the building and replicating the behaviors that are going to be happening later when the building is actually built. And Ryan, is there anything you would recommend from a cost and budgeting standpoint for health systems as they maybe plan for their next phases of transformation and growth? Well, one thing we've seen over the years is that year over year, the budgets for healthcare IT infrastructure have gone up and gone up considerably, probably faster than any other budget line item on a construction estimate. And so you do have to take that budget line item very seriously. We're thinking about that investment in terms of the dollars for the technology infrastructure day one, also the dollars that have to be spent year over year in order to upgrade those systems and keep them all running well. But we also have to think about it in terms of an investment in space. And so the shafts, the closets for those server racks, All of the space that technology takes up in a hospital is actually getting bigger as well. And even though there's this big movement in the consumer technology space around miniaturization, that isn't happening in healthcare yet and isn't happening in the near term. And there still are a tremendous amount of wires and cabling that run through hospitals. And decade after decade, that does seem to be growing. And so leaving space for that, making space for future flexibility, and perhaps systems that haven't even been developed yet to be loaded into uh, your hospital in the future, that's a really important recommendation. This has been such an illuminating discussion. We like to end our episodes by looking to the future, and that seems especially pertinent for this topic. I'd like to ask each of you, what makes you excited or hopeful about the future of technological disruption in healthcare? Yunhi, maybe I'll start with you. I think innovation comes when there are new players in an industry that's traditionally been dominated by the known players, right? So the big wild card is that big tech doesn't have a track record in this space, but it's got the money and the weight. One area that I'm really focused on and that really excites me is kind of the technologies that are focused on bridging the gap for the haves and have nots. So kind of honing in on these new up and coming startups that are kind of really have a purpose serving the people who don't have access. I think that's super important. And Paul, how about you? What excites you most when you think about the future of technology and healthcare? 
And I think the pandemic and the breakdown has presented a great opportunity for technology and obligation to reevaluate the service design, the risk management, with an eye towards building a much more resilient healthcare delivering system, which means not only capable to deliver better and routine care, but also focus on the wellness of, of staff. And that is a tall order. And you know, as we think about these opportunities to incorporate human factors, to incorporate the lived experience of staff and patients, to incorporate the experience with full equitable approaches that allows marginalized populations to participate in this new design opportunity, we need to remember the dictum that first do no harm means to our staff, to our environment, and also it means that relentless focus on improvement. So without that type of board and executive leadership and accountability for safety and quality, technology might not actually deliver on its potential. So we need to really invest in better ways of permitting the delivery of safe and equitable care. That means during both normal and extraordinary times, and it means allowing healthcare to truly support society in, in a much more meaningful way. Ryan, what makes you feel optimistic when you think about technological disruptions in healthcare? So I'm very optimistic about technology and home-based care. The telehealth breakthrough of 2020 was just the beginning of a larger movement. It's amazing what was accomplished within the context of that lockdown. And what we saw in that moment was physicians' ability to deliver many types of care directly into the home via webcams and devices that we all already had access to. But there was so much that couldn't be treated in the space of the home at that time. What's exciting about the future is more and more types of care being migrated into people's homes. That's great for the patients because it's clearly more convenient for them to receive care in their home than to drive to a medical center. It's also great for the providers because delivering care in a hospital is an inherently expensive endeavor. Hospitals are extremely expensive to run and operate. So we see a future where more and more types of care, types of care that are delivered in hospitals right now, even in inpatient environments, are moved into the space of the home. And that will only be enabled through technology that becomes miniaturized, more portable, and more connected. So it really is the technology that's going to enable more processes to take place within the comfort and the convenience of the patient's home. And we are excited about that future. Thanks for tuning in to Uplift. Special thanks to our guests, Paul Barish, Yunhee Kim, and Ryan Hollinger. For more of our thoughts on technological disruptions in healthcare, visit our website at nbbj.com. If you liked what you heard, please share, like, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you on the next episode.